most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, June 2nd, 2022, the 498th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started today, I just want to mention the great American patriot, Mike Lindell, and his great American manufacturing company, MyPillow. You can go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code reasonable, get up to 60% off items all across the store. They have a bunch of buy one, get one free deals going on right now as well. And when you order, you will receive a free copy of Mike Lindell's book. So go ahead and make your life more comfortable. Go to MyPillow.com, promo code reasonable. If you want to support what I'm doing directly, the best place to do that is at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. Sign up for a paid membership there. I am going to be releasing the podcast on Substack starting in a few weeks, and to get each episode on the day it's released, you will have to be a paid member of that Substack. So I want to talk about election fraud today. There is a lot going on on that front. But before I do that, I just want to drop a little update in on the John Durham special counsel investigation that we've been talking about for the last couple of days. This is Paul Sperry. On Twitter this morning, breaking news, congressional investigators have met with special counsel Durham's team concerning at least a dozen criminal referrals, including perjury involving former Hillary Clinton campaign officials and contractors and FBI officials who've testified regarding the Russiagate probe. So despite the media coverage and despite the emotional reaction of disappointment to the Sussman verdict. And despite the black pillars, it seems that things are still progressing ever forward down that road. And again, all it takes to turn that Sussman verdict from a loss into a win is to indict bigger fish based on evidence that came out during that Sussman trial. So the sense of hopelessness is usually based on an incomplete understanding of a developing situation and the fact that you are not realizing the situation is developing. The Durham investigation is a long story. That was one little chapter. And there is plenty more still to come. So let's turn to election fraud. On Tuesday, I discussed how CNN and the Washington Post had both released articles over the 
Memorial Day holiday weekend, Saturday afternoon, the time when the fewest possible people will actually look at the news and see breaking news. And the articles were about a five page report that is coming out from CISA on the J. Alex Halderman report, which has been held back from the public for years now, even though it was part of an official court proceeding down in Georgia and is part of the public record of that case. Some of the evidence from it, not the full report. In fact, Brad Raffensperger and CISA sued to keep that report from reaching the public. Now they're giving their own little view of what that report says. But that report says that the machines are vulnerable in a series of ways, partially from the design, partially from the coding. They say, oh, they can't be hacked unless, but there's no proof that stuff happened. They can be hacked, but thank goodness they weren't. And there can be coding problems. That's true. But to really exploit that, someone would have to have physical access. And there's no evidence that anyone besides election officials and poll workers had access to the machines. And we can trust all of them, whether or not they were hired by Stacey Abrams. So we have been told for 19 months now that not only was the election not stolen and not a product of fraud, it couldn't even possibly have happened. So there's two things they've told us. Election fraud didn't happen. Election fraud couldn't happen. Well, now the idea that election fraud couldn't happen is being just blown out of the water. It was always a lie. It was always an obvious lie. And anyone who actually believed it was doing so in spite of extensive evidence produced by Democrats. You could go watch the HBO documentary Kill Chain and see Amy Klobuchar and Kamala Harris and all sorts of Democratic communists talking about how the machines were vulnerable. And you can trace evidence of machine vulnerabilities back for the entire 20 plus years they've been in use. In fact, arguments from Democrats about how George W. Bush actually lost to John Kerry in Ohio are predicated on the machines being vulnerable. Most people on the left used to make that argument. So CNN and The Washington Post came out with their stories over the weekend. And then yesterday, a story dropped from the Associated Press. And it is very similar. So I'm going to go through this quickly. But there are some important steps forward in this narrative. And you can kind of see where they are trying to defend the narrative. Electronic voting machines from a leading vendor used in 16 states have software vulnerabilities that leave them susceptible to hacking if unaddressed. The nation's leading cybersecurity agency says in an advisory sent to state election officials, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, said there is no evidence the flaws in the Dominion voting systems equipment have been exploited to alter election results. Keep that in mind. No evidence. No evidence. The advisory is based on testing by a prominent computer scientist and expert witness in a long running lawsuit that is unrelated to false allegations of a stolen election pushed by former President Donald Trump after his 2020 election loss. 
So the case they are referring to was prior to the 2020 election. And that is the basis on which they are saying these cases are unrelated. But that is not what they are communicating to their readers. What they're communicating to their readers is that it is only a problem. The machines are only a problem in that other case. They're not a problem in Trump's false, baseless claims. And they also fail to mention that Judge Amy Totenberg in that case agreed that the machines were vulnerable. She just said she couldn't outlaw the machines because the election was about to happen. We can't just change everything. Sure, the system is fraudulent and bound to produce a fraudulent result, but we can't get rid of it before an election. The election is too important to just change systems midstream. The advisory obtained by the Associated Press in advance of its expected Friday release details nine vulnerabilities and suggests protective measures to prevent or detect their exploitation. Amid a swirl of misinformation and disinformation about elections, CISA seems to be trying to walk a line between not alarming the public and stressing the need for election officials to take action. And once again, you have one of those brilliant sentences that can only be conceived of by a genuine propaganda outlet at the top of their game. CISA seems to be trying to walk a line between not alarming the public and stressing the need for election officials to take action. Okay. Now these are the two goals. These are the things that they want to convince you of with this propaganda. The idea that CISA is trying to avoid creating stress for the public is predicated on the understanding that the reality of the situation would create stress for the public. And of course, if I was to say this to the writer of the article, that writer would say, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that all these conspiracy theories would develop. So CISA is trying to put a stop to those conspiracy theories. And I would say, okay, Kami, go with that. It's amazing how conspiracy theories just keep popping up when new true information comes and the conspiracy theorists say, hey, everybody, look at this new information. Immediately, it becomes a conspiracy theory. The Dominion systems are vulnerable in multiple ways, according to what this article just said. These very people have been telling you for years that the systems are not vulnerable at all, but you're supposed to listen to these people. I've been talking about election fraud virtually every day for the last 19 months. And truthfully, I was talking about election fraud for six months before the 2020 election. And I actually can't think of anything so far that I got wrong about election fraud. Although I'm sure there must be something. And if someone says, oh, no, you were wrong about this, I'll say, hey, all right. But regardless, how noble that CISA wants to make sure they don't cause anyone in the public any stress about the thing they've been lying about for the last 19 months. Now, the other part of that is the need for election officials to take action. Keep that in mind. 
CISA Executive Director Brandon Wales said in a statement that, quote, state standard election procedures would detect exploitation of these vulnerabilities and in many cases would prevent attempts entirely, end quote. Yet the advisory seems to suggest that states aren't doing enough. It urges prompt mitigation measures, including both continued and enhanced, quote, defensive measures to reduce the risk of exploitation of these vulnerabilities, end quote. Those measures need to be applied ahead of every election, the advisor says, and it's clear that's not happening in all of the states that use the machines. So we need to take action before the next election. They need defensive measures to reduce the risk of exploitation of these vulnerabilities. Why? Why weren't those measures taken before the 2020 election? Why weren't they taken before this primary cycle and the various elections in 2021, like the obviously fake and stolen California governor recall? Again, the Halderman report has been available since before the election of 2020. But now we are told election officials must take action, defensive measures to reduce the risk of exploitation of these vulnerabilities. University of Michigan scientist J. Alex Halderman, who wrote the report on which the advisory is based, has long argued that using digital technology to record votes is dangerous because computers are inherently vulnerable to hacking and thus require multiple safeguards that aren't uniformly followed. He and many other election security experts have insisted that using hand-marked paper ballots is the most secure method of voting and the only option that allows for meaningful post-election audits. That is the Associated Press saying that. That is what we have all been saying for 19 months that the audits that are happening now are not at all sufficient for proving that an election was properly called. And in this quote is also the admission that those audits are insufficient. He's saying the only way is hand-marked paper ballots. And he's not even hinting that the machines are in a close second. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we can't have hand-marked paper ballots. Those are just going to take too long to count. That's what the situation is since 2000. Now the ballots are too hard to count. Before then, just fine. But now they're too hard to count. Could we get more people counting them? No. In fact, what we need to do is take away the precinct level count, the precinct level vote. What we need to do is open up huge election centers and have everybody go to those things, vote on the machines, and then we get the count just immediately on the machines in this big place because you know that's the problem with paper ballots. It's just too many people, too many ballots. There's no way to keep it all organized. How does the world work? It's so complicated. How did anyone get anything done before election machines happened? Did we even have presidents back then? Everybody knows computers are required to add one plus one plus one plus one plus one over and over and over and over again. Gotta have a computer. So let's read the sentence again. He and many other election security experts have insisted 
that using hand-marked paper ballots is the most secure method of voting and the only option that allows for meaningful post-election results. If we did not use what experts and common sense say is the most secure method of voting, and it does not have the option for meaningful post-election audits, then how in the world did we have the safest and most secure election of all time? You see, that's just not possible because the entire election was held in a system that we know in multiple vectors introduces the opportunity for fraud. These vulnerabilities, for the most part, are not ones that could be easily exploited by someone who walks in off the street, but they are things that we should worry could be exploited by sophisticated attackers, such as hostile nation states or by election insiders. And they would carry very serious consequences, Halderman told the AP. Now, I have no doubt that the child brains will not read this. And that if they did, they would not believe it. They would say that that J. Alex Halderman is a conspiracy theorist because other experts disagree with him. They have heard from other experts this entire time. And those other experts who said that the machines could not be hacked, they're not even connected to the Internet and nothing else could possibly go wrong with them. So they'll say, yeah, but that's just one expert. And they'll ignore it. And the response to that, by the way, is to just be like, oh, okay, commie. Things have worked out great so far, haven't they? Gosh, must be amazing to never have to admit you're wrong. In fact, you never even have to consider you're wrong. But, you know, the thing that's going on in their heads, really, is that they know they're wrong the entire time. And they're just hoping that you will stop saying it. And that's why they are so awful. Concerns about possible meddling by election insiders were recently underscored with the indictment of Mesa County clerk Tina Peters in Colorado, who has become a hero to election conspiracy theorists and is running to become her state's top election official. Data from the county's voting machines appeared on election conspiracy websites last summer, shortly after Peters appeared at a symposium about the election organized by MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell. Promo code reasonable. She was also recently barred from overseeing this year's elections in her county. Tina Peters is also running for secretary of state, and this indictment is based on nothing. Tina Peters is not being told she can't run for secretary of state, even with this indictment hanging over her head. This is just to cause her problems again. And I talked about this on Monday, so sorry to rehash it. But Tina Peters had a forensic image made of the Dominion voting machines in Mesa County in line with her job. By the way, she is responsible for elections in Mesa County, Colorado. Dominion was going to come in and perform a trusted build. They were going to erase all the information and make the hard drive all new again. She had an image made before she had an image made after they can see what the differences are. They know that the trusted build was designed to eliminate evidence. 
And you should notice that they bother talking about Mike Lindell and my pillow, but don't bother talking about what Tina Peters actually found. One of the most serious vulnerabilities could allow malicious code to be spread from the election management system to machines throughout a jurisdiction, Halderman said. The vulnerability could be exploited by someone with physical access or by someone who is able to remotely infect other systems that are connected to the internet if election workers then use USB sticks to bring data from an infected system into the election management system. Now, is there plenty of video from the 2020 election of election workers doing exactly that? Yeah, there is. And we all saw it in November of 2020. Several other particularly worrisome vulnerabilities could allow an attacker to forge cards used in the machines by technicians, giving the attacker access to a machine that would allow the software to be changed, Halderman said. And this reminds me of another video we saw in the lead up to the 2020 election from Philadelphia, a warehouse of sorts or some sort of holding room where hundreds of Dominion machines were and access to those machines was entirely unrestricted. Someone literally walked in and just filmed the room. No security. The door wasn't even locked. And that is our critical election infrastructure. Now, the machines are obviously terrible, obviously only for fraud and should not be any part of our election infrastructure whatsoever. But to the extent that the machines are used and for as long as they are used, there is no way to call them anything other than critical election infrastructure. So why are they being held in a room where the doors aren't even locked? Who did that? Well, Pennsylvania election officials who are Pennsylvania election officials paid by, especially in Philadelphia. Oh, it's Mark Zuckerberg. Once again, did he hire election judges in Philadelphia? Sure did. Was Philadelphia one of the main recipients of Mark Zuckerberg's half billion dollars that he spent to steal the 2020 election? Sure was. Attackers could then mark ballots inconsistently with voters intent, alter recorded votes, or even identify voters secret ballots. Halderman said, doesn't that make you feel like you are in the welcoming arms of of a nation where election integrity is our greatest priority. They're trying to tear down our democracy. Halderman is an expert witness for the plaintiffs in a lawsuit filed in 2017 that targeted the outdated voting machines Georgia used at the time. You see, those machines were outdated. The new ones, oh, that can't happen. The state bought the Dominion system in 2019, but the plaintiffs contend that the new system is also insecure. A 25,000 word report detailing Halderman's findings was filed under seal in federal court in Atlanta last July. U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg, who's overseeing the case, has expressed concern about releasing the report, worrying about the potential for hacking and the misuse of sensitive election system information. You got that? If people knew what was in the report, more people would know how to exploit the system. So the report, knowing the facts about the machines, would actually make the machines even more vulnerable than they already are. But Halderman already says they're extremely vulnerable. 
And Judge Totenberg knows that. It's strange that she never bothered telling her sister, Nina Totenberg, who's very famous on national public radio, the communist state media, for the global communist evil twin as it exists in the U.S. government. She agreed in February that the report could be shared with CISA, which promised to work with Halderman and Dominion to analyze potential vulnerabilities and then help jurisdictions that use the machines to test and apply any protections. So Judge Totenberg is basically the owner of the Halderman report. And she gets to decide, oh, yeah, okay, well, CISA can have it. CISA is just going to figure out where the vulnerabilities are and then address them. So releasing the report to the public is dangerous because the public would then get the idea that the machines are completely open to influence and infiltration and fraud. And we can't have that. We can't have the public understanding that the machines are actually really terrible. So what we're going to do instead of releasing the report to the public is we're going to give it to the same government agency that said the 2020 election was the safest and most secure election of all time. And what they're going to do with it is fix everything so that the machines are perfect. And since the machines can't be perfect and the Halderman report has already told us that. And since renowned experts understand that the only secure way to hold an election is with hand marked paper ballots, we're just going to ignore all that. And we're going to tell you the problems are all solved. And you're going to trust us because we are the government. We are the experts and we are going to have the news tell you whatever we need them to tell you. The information is just too important to leave in the hands of of anyone who doesn't already understand that the machines are necessary. Halderman agrees that there's no evidence the vulnerabilities were exploited in the 2020 election. Then again, he has no evidence and that's not his thing. He's not studying the 2020 election. And by the way, he's a Democrat. Halderman was in the videos in Kill Chain. Halderman, I believe, has testified before Kamala Harris and Amy Klobuchar about the voting system. And of course, the Associated Press is forced to admit that. But that wasn't his mission, he said. So he says he didn't look. The AP reframes that as he agrees that there's absolutely no evidence. He was looking for ways Dominion's democracy suite image cast X voting system could be compromised. The touchscreen voting machines can be configured as ballot marking devices that produce a paper ballot or record votes electronically. In a statement, Dominion defended the machines as accurate and secure. The paper ballot they produce has a QR code, and we're going to get to all of that in just a minute. But that QR code is obviously unreadable by the human eye. We are supposed to believe that what we touched on the screen was properly recorded into the machine and then the machine properly spit out the QR code that would match with our selections and our identity, of course, too. And it's worth mentioning that that's a whole lot of data in one little QR code that shoots off to one little database. That is not our vote being counted as one vote for Trump and one vote for this senator or that congressman or your mayor or your city council or whether or not your town has just decided to begin allowing boys into girls bathrooms. 
you can't verify at all what that QR code says. But for sure, the state can. Does the state of California know who all the in-person Trump voters were? For sure they do. But some states just do electronic. They don't even need that paper record. Not that the paper record means anything. Of course, it doesn't. You feed it into a machine and the machine reads that paper record and spits out whatever the QR code represents. Was it your vote? Who knows? But you just voted. Congratulations. Wear your sticker now. But the problem here is actually even a little bit worse than that because they talk about these paper ballots as if they were hand marked, the ones that the machine spit out, I mean. And those are thought to be compliant with states that have laws about paper ballots. Oh, well, here's your paper ballot. Oh, is that a ballot? Well, no, it's just a printout of what you selected on the computer. And sure, we can't actually tell from what was printed out whether or not it was actually what you selected on the computer. But take our word for it. You know, these are machines. Machines make things more efficient, more secure. You can trust the machine. Sure, J. Alex Halderman and CISA, and now the Associated Press, CNN, and Washington Post all admit that you can't trust the machines, but you voted. Wear your sticker, you know, if you want, wear your sticker. Post it on social media. Be proud of yourself. Dominion systems have been unjustifiably maligned by people pushing the false narrative that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump. Incorrect and sometimes outrageous claims by high-profile Trump allies prompted the company to file defamation lawsuits. State and federal officials have repeatedly said there's no evidence of widespread fraud in the 2020 election and no evidence that Dominion equipment was manipulated to alter results. Again, no evidence, no evidence. They cannot say it didn't happen. They're just going to say no evidence, which they can claim through plausible deniability. Well, you know, Dominion said there's no evidence and, uh, you know, secretaries of state around the country, they've said, no, there's no evidence. Election workers, poll workers, they say there's no evidence. And if you only pay attention to the people saying there's no evidence, then fine, there's no evidence. But if you pay attention to all of the people who are actually compiling evidence and have been looking at election fraud for the last 19 months, it turns out there is overwhelming evidence everywhere in all cases there is no place anyone has looked where election fraud widespread systematic systemic election fraud has not been found and that fraud exists at every single point in the election process they literally change the laws in order to create more opportunities for election fraud. Why do you think they're allowing illegal immigrants to vote in New York City elections? These same people who lie about the machines, lie about the possibility of fraud, lie about incidents of fraud, and then call you a domestic terrorist who is spreading the big lie those people care about voting rights for illegal immigrants. They don't care about voting rights for anyone. Halderman said it's an unfortunate coincidence 
that the first vulnerabilities in polling place equipment reported to CISA affect Dominion machines. And even that framing is ridiculous. The first vulnerabilities in polling place equipment reported to CISA. No, they're not. And if the priority here was election integrity, why didn't CISA receive this report three years ago? There are systemic problems with the way election equipment is developed, tested, and certified. And I think it's more likely than not that serious problems would be found in equipment from other vendors if they were subjected to the same kind of testing. And of course, that's true because all of the voting machine companies are tied together and use similar software. In Georgia, the machines print a paper ballot that includes a barcode known as a QR code and a human readable summary list reflecting the voters selections and the votes are tallied by a scanner that reads the barcode. And that's what I got in California. It showed my selections printed out on the piece of paper, but there's a QR code. The machine reads the QR code. There's absolutely no way for me to verify that the printed names on that ballot that I selected in the computer are reflected in that barcode and no way I can check it. But somehow using a piece of paper as a middleman is supposed to make me trust everything and assume that everything is working just fine. When barcodes are used to tabulate votes, they may be subject to attacks exploiting the listed vulnerabilities such that the barcode is inconsistent with the human readable portion of the paper ballot. The advisory says to reduce this risk, the advisory recommends the machines should be configured where possible to produce traditional full face ballots rather than summary ballots with QR codes. And of course, this also doesn't fix the problem because all they need to do is put in other printing errors that you might not see in your now computer generated ballot. And if one of those printing errors causes a certain variety of ballots with certain votes on it to be misread by the machines, then it gets kicked to adjudication. Then it becomes a provisional ballot. And then it either doesn't get counted or gets counted. However, they decide to count it. That's what the adjudication process allows. The affected machines are used by at least some voters in at least 16 states. And in most of those places, they are used only for people who can't physically fill out a paper ballot by hand, according to a voting equipment tracker maintained by Watchdog Verified Voting. And Verified Voting is another of the machine auditors who clearly cannot be trusted. This report proves that those machine auditors are doing a BS job. Why didn't any of those auditors ever find out that the machines had these vulnerabilities? Why didn't any of those auditors report that the machines had vulnerabilities? And of course, many of those auditors actually did report before 2020 that those machines had vulnerabilities, but those same people came back after the November 3rd, 2020 election and said they didn't. And of course, you're also supposed to take from this paragraph that most people actually don't use the machines. Yeah, the machines are everywhere, but most people don't use them. In some states, they're only for people who can't fill out a physical paper ballot. And what are you going to do? Not allow them to vote? Again, so silly. You could have an election worker help them or a family member or anyone really 
That is a solvable problem that does not require election machines to be used around the country. And if this really were to benefit people who couldn't physically fill out a ballot, well, then why not just make it so the machines are available for them? And of course, then they'd say, well, it doesn't make any sense financially to purchase the machines just for, you know, that handful of people. To which I'd say that's correct. They would still contest that law being implemented, though. And if somehow that law were implemented, the population of people unable to fill out physical ballots themselves would dramatically increase. It would be an amazing thing to witness. The news would tell us we have an entire generation of people who are physically unable to fill out ballots. But hey, then again, maybe the vaccine will make that a reality. Georgia Deputy Secretary of State Gabriel Sterling said that the CISA advisory in a separate report commissioned by Dominion recognized that, quote, existing procedural safeguards make it extremely unlikely, end quote, that a bad actor could exploit the vulnerabilities identified by Halderman. He called Halderman's claims exaggerated. This is the Rhino Deputy Secretary of State. Brad Raffensperger's underling took the CISA report and a report produced by Dominion itself. And on that basis, he is saying that the expert, a renowned expert who looked at the machines himself and has the expertise to tell what's going on, his claims are exaggerated. Not Gabriel Sterling a dude who was literally involved in the cover-up of election fraud in Georgia in 2020. That guy says the experts' claims are exaggerated. Dominion has told CISA that the vulnerabilities have been addressed in subsequent software versions, and the advisory says election officials should contact the company to determine which updates are needed. Halderman tested the machines in Georgia, and he said it's not clear whether machines running other versions of the software share the same vulnerabilities. And of course, being the very careful, very expert he is, he's only going to remark about software he's tested. But there is absolutely no reason whatsoever to assume that these vulnerabilities are only software based. In fact, the previous articles, the one we went over the other day from Washington Post, that said specifically that the machines had design flaws internally, not just the coding. Halderman says that as far as he knows, no one but Dominion has had the opportunity to test their asserted fixes. So trust the corporation. To prevent or detect the exploitation of these vulnerabilities, the advisory's recommendations include ensuring voting machines are secure and protected at all times, something they don't do conducting rigorous pre and post election testing on the machines, as well as post election audits, something that they either don't do or they do internally with systems that don't show these sorts of problems and encouraging voters to verify the human readable portion on printed ballots. That's the fix. Load new software on a machines around the country, go in and do the trusted build. Erase all that prior election information, put the new system in place, keep your testers, tell everybody that everything's okay. 
There was a problem, but now we fixed the problem. We fixed the problem with the trusted build. And then you see that these articles are not only defending against the obvious proof of the ability to commit system-wide election fraud that this report shows. It's not only a defense against that. It is a PR campaign to convince people that they should want Dominion to come in and perform the trusted build. And then the other recommendations are lock the doors, do more audits that you'll have to trust us on, and be sure you look at the printed portion, not just the QR code. Hey, guys, you can't read the QR code. So look at the printed portion and then trust that. I mean, yeah, the machine's going to read the QR code, but trust the printed portion. All good. When have we ever steered you wrong? And for an answer to that question... We can just go to DeKalb County, Georgia. This is the Georgia record from yesterday. DeKalb County recount shows massive difference between machine count and hand count from May 24th primary. Election results changed. Electronic database suspected. Now, I said immediately upon getting the results of that Georgia primary election, hey, this election is obviously fraudulent. And how did I know that? Is it because I'm a conspiracy theorist who believes every election is stolen and that I can surely prove it if only they'll give me the information? Well, yes, there's definitely that. But that is based on the fact that the system can actually be mapped. You can understand what the system is. If you have followed people that have been doing this work, Since the November 3rd, 2020 election and prior, you know about how election fraud is carried out. There is an absolutely overwhelming amount of information and really intelligent analysis on all of this stuff. It's not even hard to find. Just takes time. Takes a lot of understanding. You can't just dismiss claims right off the bat. So it's a little more uncomfortable. But once you know how the election fraud system works, you can see it in operation in real time. And as you watch it, it becomes clear that fraud is happening. And when you see the results, it's undeniable. DeKalb County, Georgia, undertook a hand recount in the District 2 County Commission race after questions were raised over equipment malfunctions. DeKalb VRE Executive Director Keisha Smith issued a press release to distribute the recount tabulation, which changed the results and the runoff participants. The press release does not explain the large discrepancy between the machine count on election night and the subsequent hand count. It also doesn't explain the appearance of 2,810 more votes cast than were initially reported. This is my first time experiencing an election as a candidate. Like I'm sure many other people are, I am surprised by the significant change in the reported totals from the hand count in comparison to what had previously been published by DeKalb Elections. I am continuing to monitor the situation and will await further news about this election. It remains important to me that every vote is counted with accuracy and reflects the voters will. Due to the limited time between now and the runoff election date, I need to continue to be prepared for the runoff as we await certification. I continue to support full transparency about this election and the ensuing tabulation of results, said Lauren Alexander, and she was one of the candidates. 
DeKalb VRE at first declined to release results of the hand count of paper ballots, which election workers finished at 1230 a.m. on May 31st, citing questions about the accuracy of the count. Local DeKalb online newspaper Decaturish filed a formal records request for the immediate release of this information with an explanation about why election officials feel the hand tally count is inaccurate or provide a legal justification for withholding the information. And Decaturish has the election results. These are the District 2 results reported on May 24th. Lauren Alexander had 4,382 votes. Marshall Orson had 5,226 votes. Michelle Long Spears, 3,031 votes, a total of 12,639 votes. Okay, so Alexander had about 35 percent. Marshall Orson received about 41 percent and Michelle Long Spears received 24 percent. The results of the hand count. Lauren Alexander received 4,737 votes. So that's about 355 more votes than she had in the original machine count. Marshall Orson, he had 5226 originally. They found he had 3,928. So he was gifted 1,300 votes that he did not receive according to the hand count. Michelle Long Spears, 6,651 votes. That is... 3,620 more votes than she received from the machine count. And so not only did it change the candidate's individual results, the hand count showed nearly 3,000 more votes than were originally recorded by the machines. How does that happen? That's the question. Now in the machine count, Michelle Long Spears finished third. And we know in Georgia elections that if a candidate, that if no candidate achieves 50% plus of the vote, then a runoff between the top two vote getters happens. So according to that original machine count, Michelle Long Spears would have been out of it. She would be done. She lost her primary game over. Lauren Alexander and Marshall Orson would fight it out for county commissioner. In the June 21st runoff. Now, the hand count shows Marshall Orson is actually third and Michelle Long Spears is in first place. So the person that the voters chose to be number one, that was the most popular candidate. She was going to be left out of the runoff. And the third place candidate, according to the hand recount, was going to be in the runoff. They swapped first and third place to set up the runoff they wanted. And you can imagine that Marshall Orson would have been the one to win in that runoff, which people would have said, okay, well, yeah, it seemed like Lauren Alexander was more popular. It seemed like Marshall Orson was the guy that no one really wanted, even though the establishment was pushing him. And by the way, these are Democrats. But, you know, the fact that Orson was in first place in the initial primary, well, that means he probably had the advantage and that's why he won in the runoff. He was just the more popular guy. That's the story we would have gotten while the actual person the voters chose was not even allowed to participate in the runoff. 
And it's not very hard to apply the same principle to the rest of the state and then really begin to wonder if Brian Kemp got 75% of the vote. Back to the article. Had Spears not raised questions on election night, it's unclear whether the result would be in doubt at all. Some precincts were reporting she received zero votes, including her own precinct. She took pictures of the precinct level results and showed them to Decaturish on Monday during day two of the hand recount. Her supporters, including commissioners Jeff Rader and Ted Terry, began publicly raising questions about what happened. I have no disagreement with anybody who says, let's take a harder look at any of these races. I need to be provided with more precinct by precinct data. What are the implications of any of the issues we've been looking at for any other races? I don't know, said Elections Board Vice Chair Nancy Jester. In other words, the May 24th election was again marred with fraud and incompetence. Perhaps it's time to get rid of the machines, Georgia. And maybe this will finally wake some Democrats up to the problem. I'm honestly a bit amazed that Michelle Long Spears is still alive after going after this. Now let's go to Arizona and back to the Associated Press. And remember, it's one thing that we know stories about what happened, right? We scan alternative, independent media, mainstream media, conservative media. We watch the speeches. We watch the press conferences. We read the papers. We read the reports. We watch the Senate and house testimonies, but most people don't. Most people see headlines in news aggregators and you can't know what people are seeing or thinking without paying attention to mainstream sources. All of that said, once a mainstream source starts to report the same things we've been talking about for a year and a half, you know, a narrative is about to shift or collapse completely. And that's what we have going on right now in Arizona and with the election fraud issues at large. Records show coordinated Arizona ballot collection scheme. And that is the softest way they can communicate what's in this article to the child brains. Is that accurate about what's in this article? No, it is a framing. An Arizona woman indicted in 2020 on accusations of illegally collecting ballots apparently ran a sophisticated operation using her status as a well-known Democratic operative in the border city of San Luis to persuade voters to let her gather and in some cases fill out their ballots, according to records obtained by the Associated Press. Now, this is exactly what 2000 Mules has accused Democrats Democrat NGOs, corrupt Republicans, etc., of doing a system of ballot fraud. Guillermina Fuentes, 66, and a second woman were indicted in December of 2020, December 2020, while we're being told there's absolutely no way election fraud was committed anywhere. Election fraud is rare and could never affect the outcome of an election. There's no proof of widespread fraud. These are baseless claims. December 2020 on one count of ballot abuse, a practice commonly known as ballot harvesting. Why didn't you put that in the headline? 
that was made illegal under a 2016 state law. Additional charges of conspiracy, forgery, and an additional ballot abuse charge were added last October. Fuentes, a former San Luis mayor who serves as an election board member of the Gadsden Elementary School District in San Luis, has a Thursday court date where she may change her not guilty plea. Her co-defendant awaits sentencing after pleading guilty to a reduced charge several months ago. So this person who is involved in the ballot harvesting ring to commit systematic widespread election fraud, she is expected to change her not guilty plea because the 2000 mules evidence has come forward and now there's nothing anyone can do to cover it up or hide it or stop it anymore. She's now expected to plead guilty and we're going to see what the terms of that are. Fuentes is accused of collecting ballots during the 2020 primary election in violation of the law that only allows a caregiver or family member to return someone else's early ballot and in some cases filling them out. Her attorney, Ann Chapman, has not responded to repeated inquiries seeking comment, including on Wednesday. Republicans have rallied around the possibility of widespread voting fraud in the 2020 election where former President Donald Trump was defeated. They've pointed to the charges against Fuentes as part of a broader pattern in battleground states. There is no sign of that in the investigation records, though. <laughs> well, what happens if you look beyond the investigation records, Associated Press? Could you find some sign of that? Could you? What if you looked at, say, True the Votes evidence? Would that evidence give some sign of a broader election conspiracy? Yeah, yeah, it would. They were obtained through a public records request from the Arizona Attorney General's office that was first made in February 2021, but was denied. The AP sent a, re a new request last October after more charges were filed against Fuentes. The Attorney General finally provided more than 20 documents laying out the investigation late last week. The records show that fewer than a dozen ballots could be linked to Fuentes, not enough to make a difference in all but the tightest local races. It is the only case ever brought by the attorney general under the 2016 law, which was upheld by the Supreme Court last year. Investigators said it appears she used her position as a powerful figure in the heavily Mexican-American community to get people to give her or others their ballots to return to the polls. The alleged illegal ballot collection by Fuentes and her co-defendant happened in plain sight outside a cultural center in San Luis on the day of the primary election. The reports show Fuentes was at a card table set up by supporters of a slate of city council candidates and was spotted with several mail-in ballot envelopes, pulling out the ballots and in some cases marking them. So you see, it was like an official proceeding. She probably didn't even know what she was doing was wrong. She's a powerful community official in a very Mexican neighborhood, which you can tell from her name. So she must be very well respected. No one would ever suspect Miss Fuentes of committing a crime just right out there in public, just like nobody ever expects Democrats to do that whenever they are doing this very thing all around the country all the time. Democracy in the park, mobile voting. We're just going to drive a truck into a poor community and then collect their ballots. Look, they all love it. We're giving out gift cards to Starbucks. Every one of them, they can't resist. They give us their ballot. We give them $5. 
It's a perfect system. There's no fraud. The ballots were then taken inside the cultural center and deposited in a ballot box. Oh, she was just doing them a little favor. She was just walking their ballots inside after taking them and marking them. It was videotaped by a write-in candidate who called the Yuma County Sheriff. An investigation was launched that day and about 50 ballots checked for fingerprints, which were inconclusive. The investigation was taken over by the attorney general's office within days, with investigators collaborating with the sheriff's deputies to interview voters and others, including Fuentes. Now, remember how the Associated Press has tried to convince you that this is a very isolated incident. She's just a poor old lady who is on the school board and just trying to get out the vote for her preferred candidates. All she did was collect a few ballots. There's no evidence of anything else. Although Fuentes is charged only with actions that appear on the videotape and involve just a handful of ballots, investigators believe the effort went much farther. Attorney General's office investigator William Cluth wrote in one report that there was some evidence suggesting Fuentes actively canvassed San Luis neighborhoods and collected ballots, in some cases paying for them. Where's the money coming from? Where is the money coming from? Because this nice old lady that we've been presented as just doing the community a nice service by collecting people's ballots and dropping them off for them. It's just a small number. It's not a big deal. Ballot harvesting is legal in some places. Arizona just passed this law in 2016. You can hardly blame her. Well, okay, commies, but where is the money from? Was she funding it herself? She was going around the neighborhoods with her own money being like, hey, you know what? I would love to do you the service of turning your ballot in for you. And I would love it so much if you allowed me to do that, that I am going to give you $10 or $20 or however much it costs for you to give me your ballot. Give it to me now. If you don't give it to me, we're going to threaten you. It's a nice old folks home here. Be a shame if something happened to it. Collecting ballots in that manner was a common get out the vote tactic used by both political parties before Arizona passed the 2016 law. Paying for ballots has never been legal. There's no sign she or anyone else in Yuma County collected ballots in the general election, but investigators from the attorney general's office are still active in Yuma County. And isn't that such a great phrase? Now we've gone even a step down from no evidence now there's just no sign, you know, except if you've seen 2000 mules or paid any attention to any of that evidence at all. And then there is a huge sign that that happened in Yuma County and in San Luis, just as they talk about in 2000 mules. The Arizona Republic reported Tuesday that search warrants were served last month at a nonprofit in San Luis. The group's executive director is chair of the Yuma County Board of Supervisors and said the warrant sought the cell phone of a San Luis councilwoman who may have been involved in illegal ballot collection. Oh, the city council is involved, too. It's not just the school board. I wonder if all the Democrats that get paid to sit in public positions everywhere are involved in the election fraud scheme. It would certainly explain how so many of them are able to hold Democrat power for so long, 
in so many localities that are consistently described to us as growing democratic areas. It's almost like installing the systems of election fraud are what turn those areas blue and then keep them blue forever, even though all signs clearly show that the people in all of those areas absolutely hate the way they're governed. Now, no mainstream news article would be finished without a grand finale. And at a legislative hearing Tuesday, where election conspiracy theorists testified, the Yuma primary election case was again a highlight. Who are the election conspiracy theorists they're referring to? They're referring to Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote. They have all the cell phone ping data all over the place, all over the country. Definitely in Yuma, definitely in San Luis. They've discussed it at length. They have all of the evidence and the AP is referring to them not as true the vote, not as Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht, election conspiracy theorists. It's all about corruption in San Luis and skewing a city council election. Yuma Republican Representative Tim Dunn said. This has been going on for a long time that you can't have free and fair elections in South County for decades, and it's spreading across the country. Ballot abuse is a felony that carries a possible sentence of up to two years in prison and a hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine. So, hey, good luck, Kami Guillermina Fuentes. So this morning, election conspiracy theorist and also tech and data expert. Greg Phillips posted this story and said San Luis, Arizona will be news today regarding the ballot trafficking conspiracy plea. Even the AP had to admit it now. As we've said for 18 months, this is one of at least 60 local trafficking insurgencies that follow a very specific conspiracy pattern, a comprehensive ecosystem. We learned yesterday lots more to come. Mules was just the beginning. And yesterday, Greg Phillips met with Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. So if he's a conspiracy theorist, he is a conspiracy theorist with influence at the highest level. But of course, the AP didn't say that. They just want you to assume that he's a conspiracy theorist, so he's nothing to worry about. They would rather have you just write him off than pay attention to what's actually happening. There's also a report today out of Arizona that the Gateway Pundit covered a couple more items on this story. Gary Garcia Snyder, who is running for Arizona State Senate, tweeted big news after yesterday's true the vote informational Senate meeting. It has created pressure that now a G will be in Yuma County at 9 a.m. for a press conference tomorrow. And of course, this was written yesterday to speak about Guillermina Fuentes hearing at 130 plea bargain acceptance and drop the indictments bomb. And we're going to have to keep our eyes open for that. It's not entirely certain who else he's implying will be indicted, but there could be more indictments to follow this announcement, particularly if, as implied, Fuentes has become a whistleblower as part of her guilty plea. 
she has apparently decided that she does not want to go down alone. Also, nonprofit executive Tony Reyes has reportedly left the country as this investigation has targeted his organization's employees. Now, Tony Reyes is the Yuma County chairman. He was the executive director of the nonprofit, the NGO that was running this particular ballot trafficking operation. A Comité de Bienestar, that's the organization, confirmed that Tony Reyes is out for the week. He left the country to go visit his home in Los Cabos, Mexico. So it'll be very interesting if we hear his name mentioned later this afternoon as this situation develops in Arizona. So that is a whole lot of stuff coming out about election fraud this week. This is stuff that cannot be denied. It cannot be avoided. It is real public evidence of election fraud to the point where the mainstream media is being forced to admit it. Now, they're not admitting that the 2020 election was stolen yet. But what they are admitting destroys their narrative piece by piece. Every one of these admissions they are now being forced to make involve things that they claimed strongly, confidently did not happen and could not happen. But all of that is gone. Okay, the veil of invincibility that our election system is claimed to have by all of the uniparty communists, the media, big tech, everyone, that whole veil of invincibility. Well, that's been pierced now. It turns out that election fraud can happen and that widespread systemic fraud can happen. There are actually mechanisms to complete that. And not only that, it did happen. In fact, it's happening right now in real time in front of everyone's faces. So if you want to keep pretending that Joe Biden received 81 million real legal American votes, go right ahead. Everyone else is going to leave you behind, as will history. You will be one deluded communist holding on to the one thing that makes you believe no one really likes Donald Trump. It's all just a bad dream. We can make it all go away. Nope. Sorry, commie. The whole thing was a lie. And the fact that they've lied to you about this, about an election, and the fact that they lied to you about a pandemic, the fact that they lied to you about Nazis in Ukraine, how much does it honestly take before you simply let go? Okay, let go. You were wrong. You were wrong the entire time. There has never been a point throughout any of this when you were right. Okay, it just is what it is. A lot of us have had to deal with that and accept it about various subjects in our lives, throughout our lives. We actually do have to do this in personal situations as part of adulthood. Of course, we're talking about child brains who lie and deny and avoid confrontation. But for everyone else, there have been times in your life where reality has proved you wrong and you have to wrestle with that and you have to deal with that and you have to make amends for what you were wrong about. I certainly have. Hell, I voted for Obama twice and I voted for Hillary. I've had to come back from that. But there's no way to do that while pretending you were right the whole time. You weren't right. Joe Biden didn't get 81 million real legal American votes. There's no evidence anywhere that he did. 
There are only claims, claims that are so unsupportable that they won't even allow anyone to check. They will censor you. They will take away your most basic right guaranteed by the United States Constitution. They will attack your most basic human rights before they will allow you to question that claim because the claim is wholly unsupportable and all of them have known it the entire time. And the unfortunate part is that they have convinced so many of our family and friends and neighbors of that lie and they can't come back from it. That's where the situation gets sad. But there is no point at which these people have another out. The out is admitting you were wrong, letting go, starting back at the beginning with the humility required to do that and trying to rebuild your worldview from zero. That is what's required. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's scary. But you don't have a choice. Your other choice is to keep pretending while everyone else knows you are wrong, you are uninformed, and you are lying. And I would suggest to you, Kami, that that's not a very good strategy. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!